Today we're going to be opening a four-part series on the Great Commission. So we're going to cover part one today in the Great Commission. And I, I don't know where everybody is in their walk in discipleship, your walk with Christ or anything else. I don't want to assume anything. So we're going to kind of start at the, the beginning of this. And Matthew 28 is where the majority of our text is going to come from. And I'd encourage you to, to turn to that if you don't have a Bible should be one there in front of you. If you don't own one, take it home with you. It's our gift to you. We're going to be considering the alls and alls, A-L-L-S, of uh, Christ's Great Commission. Through those, we're going to do some simple stuff. How, where, why, and when. Which is the best way to break anything down. So this week, the first part is you must go confident in all authority. That'd be our how. Part two will be you must go to all nations. That's where. Part three, uh, must disciple all his commands. That's why. Part four, you must live empowered in his presence all the time. That's when. So we're going to concentrate today on how. Some of y'all might be brand new Christians. Some of y'all might have been Christians for you know 182 years. Uh, and some of you, e- easy, easy, easy. Uh, but what I would like to start with is I'm gonna I'm gonna read starting in Matthew 28 with verse one, and I just want to kind of set the tone, kind of paint the picture of how Christ delivered the Great Commission. So I want to run through the first part of this. I'll tell you up front, it's one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Matthew 28 verse one. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. By the way, spoiler alert. There's quite a few opportunities in this reading to holler amen, okay? And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. There we go, there we go. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for the, for the fear of the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, what did he say? Fear not, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek who? Jesus, uh, who was crucified. He's not here, for He is risen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And He said, come and see the place where He lay. Then go quickly and tell His disciples that He has risen from the dead. And behold, He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see Him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, what did he say? Greetings. How cool is that? Let's, let's pause here for just a minute. I mean, when we meet Jesus, yeah, he says greetings. Hello. I mean, think about that for just a minute. What could have been going through the two Mary's minds at that point? And Jesus jumps up and says, hey, how's it going? Isn't that awesome? Think about that. Amen. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while all this was going on, behold, some of the guards went to the city and told the chief priest all that they had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders, and the elders had taken counsel and gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, 
Tell people his disciples came at night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were directed and the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Let's, uh, let's get low before the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You for, uh, for today. Lord, thank You for Your message. Lord, thank You for the empty tomb. That, that means so much to us that, that You did what You said. You said what You were going to do. Lord, open our hearts and minds today as we uh, study what Your great commission is for us. Uh, Lord, give us the knowledge and the wisdom to discern and uh, show us, show us all of Your glory and let everything we do today Say today, do today, think today honors you and furthers your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, Jesus had, had just been crucified, uh, just been killed, buried. Uh, so now, now we kind of know the setting. And he had just risen. So the Jews that killed him really wanted to kill the disciples also. I mean, they're, they're kind of like, hang on, we got rid of the leader, but you know, those other guys could be out there talking about him and, you know, really, is that what we want? So let's, let's look at the state of the world at that time. So you have the, the Jewish nation or you have Israel, which is part of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is, really doesn't want any trouble out of this little nation, this little country. They just want him to be quiet. So Herod is over that part of the world. And Herod works for Caesars at that time. And you, you kind of see the way the structure is working. Now, for the next quite a few years, there's uh, you, you have uh, Tiberius Caesar, then we have Caligula, then Claudius, and then Nero who persecuted the Christians. And in the next few years, the Romans are going to invade Jerusalem and destroy the temple. So we, we look at what's, what's going on at this time, and we see that evident in the Scriptures we just read, where even the, even the, the priests, the leaders of the Jewish uh, nation, are paying guards to lie about Christ. Am I the only one that's kind of drawing some similarities from the world 2,000 years ago to the world today? I mean, I, I see these similarities between like leaders of, uh, of Rome, leaders of Israel, leaders of America. And, and when, when you look at that, they're antagonistic to, towards Christians and towards Christianity. And, and if you don't think so, all you got to do is open a newspaper, turn on the internet, turn on your TV, whatever, and we see it every day. The, the main religion in Rome at this time was emperor worship. If I ask you today, what's the main religion in America? Self-worship. I mean, yeah, prove me wrong. The, uh, that, I mean, so what, what we need to understand is the similarities there. There's nothing new under the sun. But it was a very difficult time in a, in a turbulent world that Christ was fixing to deliver 
the great commission to the disciples. You know, so so when today, if you've never heard the great commission, you will hear it today. And you could say, well, this world's too tough. You know, that, that's not allowed. It wasn't allowed then either. God's expectations of us hasn't changed on the Great Commission. Their commission was going to be difficult. Pastor John stood up in his pulpit before and, and said it. If you're a Christian, your walk's going to be difficult. Get ready. Let's go back to, to Matthew. And, and I want to read through the rest of Matthew 28 through the Great Commission. And then we're going to go back and we're going to unpack it. So buckle your seatbelt. It's fixing to get wild. Verse 16, Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came to them, all with all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always. Here it comes, amen, opportunity, to the end of the age. Amen. The, uh, so if you're, if you're following along in your bulletins, uh, the first note there, first question, um, is right out of uh, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So... Uh, even our bulletin says it today. What's Jesus telling them to do? The first thing, go. Jesus tells us all to go as Christians. It, it, could be, it could be go to Nigeria. It could be go to the pew right behind you and talk to somebody. It could go, be go to the other room in your house and talk to a family member. God said go. So uh, the mountain is often used in the Bible to designate a meeting with God. Think about it. Moses uh, got the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Jesus spoke to the woman at the well about which mountain to worship God. Right? The, uh, Jesus went up on the mountain of trans Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, and it's probably the same mountain that He's fixing to deliver this uh, Great Commission from where He was tempted by Satan. The, the main part about this is it's a meeting that's in the public, it's in the open, it's not in hiding. God wants it out there. Nowhere does He want to hide the gospel. We have so many references in the, in the, in the Bible about let your light shine, let God's light shine. This was not in secret, even though it was in a very turbulent time in a very turbulent world. So then, then we ask, well, well, who are the who are the disciples in this? If the purpose of Old Dulce Baptist Church is to go forth and make disciples, who are the disciples? We are, we are. Through the rest of this sermon, if I say disciples, that's us. That's you. It's me. We're, we're all the same here. How many? How many of y'all have a problem with? Uh, Taking simple directions or commands. I stand before you today, and I would love to tell you that, uh, you know, I have no problem taking simple directions or commands. But I do have family members here that might stand up and rebuke me on that lie, so, <laughs> and, and alleged friends. 
that would uh, that would rebuke me also. The uh, so I mean, how many of us question? How many of us say, "Well, why? What's in it for me?" Hold it, you want me to go, Lord? But what's in it for me? And God's sitting there thinking, "This is the guy that can't get the concept that carry the trash out." Uh, something really simple because it needs to be done. But I'm trying to tell him something big. So how many of us, and, and it's real easy in hindsight, 2,024 years later, we can sit here and say, well, that was God. If God told me to go, I'd go. Would you? Would you take off right now, barefoot or in sandals, and walk to Victoria, Texas? No. Well, that's, that's about the... They had to travel about 90 miles to Galilee. But they did it. Were they willing? Were they, you know, were they, were they ready to go? Were they anxious? You know, think about what's just happened up to this point that we just read about. And they, they, they went the 90 miles walking. When Jesus commanded them to go, they went. If you want, and I'm going to give you a little, here's a, uh, you know, this, this is worthy of writing this down. If you want to maintain communion with Christ, go where He tells you to go. Be with Him. You'll find yourself in a lot more peace than if you don't. I mean, the Bible's full of people that didn't go. Think about Jonah and the things that happened to him when he didn't go because God told him to. So verse 17 is our second point here. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. So number two, even when we're obedient in worship, we can still have doubt. That's all right. That's all right. Does that make you a bad person? I mean, out of the disciples that went, evidently some of them were doubtful. Uh, so why, why is that? I mean, um, the, uh, an interesting contrast here is that some worship, some doubted. Even though he had just been crucified and risen, I mean, they saw the crucifixion. Now they've seen him alive, yet they still have doubt. So does, does, does that... Does that make them bad? I mean, how many of us today, how many disciples today, right now have doubts? Now, let me, let me, let me tell you something about preparing for a sermon up here. Uh, boy, doubts, you know, and things, but what you have to go back on is not my ability. It's just my ability to open my big mouth and pray with faith that God's going to put the message there for us to hear. So Jesus did not reject those who doubted. They were there. They had made the journey, so He didn't reject them. So even when we are obedient in worship, we can still have doubt and God can still honor that. It's because of the obedience. So Jesus accepted the worship of those that were there. So does, does that... Like I say, I go back on it. Because we doubt, because they doubt it's making bad people? No. You know what it makes us? Human. We're human. And, and Christ knows that because He became human. You know, Proverbs 3, 5. Uh, we talked about Proverbs this morning in Sunday school. Love Proverbs. But 3, 5 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Do not lean on your own understanding. The uh, I uh, I have to question sometimes about some of the old things in the world. You know, I, I love getting in a discussion with someone over evolution and all these other things. All these smart people that you know, I, I love the chicken and the egg. Uh, you know, which came first? Well, the chicken did. The Bible says that he created animals. He didn't, didn't create eggs. So, end of story. I'm, I'm pretty simple when it comes to those things. But but when when you talk about our own understandings, let's, let's talk about some of the smartest people in the world. I mean, you've got uh, aeronautical engineers. You've got astrophysicists. You've got mathematicians out there. And they have proved mathematically that a bumblebee and a hummingbird can't fly. Or even if they can get off the ground, at, at best, they're not going to fly very far and not going to move very far and can't maintain it. I don't know how many of y'all in here have seen a bumblebee or a hummingbird. So if that's not flying, I don't know what it is. It's a pretty good impression of it. But they're basing their knowledge on their own understanding. And that's, that's, that's what the Proverbs talks about here. Trust that God knows what's happening and God knows what's going on. And through that, our only understanding that we need to understand is that we trust the Lord with all our heart. The rest he'll figure out. So when now we've kind of established who the disciples are, who we are. We're doubting humans. We're weak. Uh, we have questions. We're argumentative. Uh, and at best, uh, we'll, we'll be obedient. But our mind still plays. Our heart's still out there. And those questions still happen. So we have to go back to God's Word to lock back in on Him. So verse 18, uh, And Jesus came to them, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. So, uh, all authority in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus. That's real easy to say, and it's it's the, the crux of our sermon today, is all authority. we got to unpack this. So what, what kind of authority is that? And if you'll look in your bulletins, you'll see a list here of some of the authority that we're talking about. And where to go find it. And I would encourage you this week to study those scriptures. Go out there on a, on a treasure hunt and find some more scriptures that talk about God's authority. And we say, well, what kind of authorities were given to you, Jesus? Well, the authority to forgive sins, we find that in Luke 5. The authority to mediate to the Father, 1 Timothy 2. The authority to send the Holy Spirit, John 14. The authority to open hearts and minds of His people, we find that in Luke. The authority to reveal the Father, Matt 11. Amen, opportunity right here. The authority to give eternal life to whom He chooses, John 10. Amen. And the authority to raise up, raise us up on the last day. You find that in John. Back in verse 17, Jesus receives the worship and does not rebuke them. Hang on, hang on. I, I've got a question. I don't know if any flags flew up for y'all, but I, I go back to, you know, why, why is that? Hang on. Back when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, Back in Matthew 4, he's being tempted by Satan. 
let me paint this picture. Satan takes him up on top of this mountaintop. He shows him all of the, the kingdoms of the world around him. And Satan told him, said, if you'll bow down and worship me, Jesus, it's all yours. I'll give it all to you. And in, in Matthew 4.10, we find Jesus' response. He said to him, be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Hang on now, I'm struggling a little bit. Jesus, this man's on top of a mountain and Satan is tempting him and he uses the scripture to tell Satan to get away from him and that you can only worship God. Now we fast forward and he's on a mountain again, probably the same mountain, and people are worshiping him and he's not rebuking them. This is a key point, people, to help you understand the dynamics of our Lord and who he is and what it means with all authority. It's important because it means He is God. He's not the man that God turned His back on that was hanging on a cross when the blood poured out. He is full, 100% God at this point. And that's the reason He fulfilled that Scripture that will only worship Him. And we find that later in the text when He says, I am with you to the end of the age. Because He is God. In Philippians 2, 5 and 11, y'all can follow along up here. Let's peel that onion back and let's see the mystery here that God's talking about. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So if you're following along in the text, Jesus, as the God-man, as the mediator, all power and authority was given to Him. We a lot of times ask God for knowledge, for wisdom, and as you're on your walk to becoming a disciple that's closer and closer with God, I'll tell you this right here. Oh, uh, like, like my old science teacher used to say, that's good stuff, children. That might be on the test. Pay attention. This is the good stuff. This is the knowledge and the wisdom that we ask about. Jesus, the God-man and mediator, has all the power and authority. When we, when we talk about that, and we define now what all authority means when it pertains to, to Christ, well, we've got a little video here. There's a gentleman. His name is Penn Fraser Gillette. I don't know if y'all know Mr. Gillette. He's an American magician. He's an actor. He's a musician. He's an inventor. He's an entertainer. Uh, real famous for a, a, a magic act, Pen and Teller. They're still doing stuff all over. It's a real entertaining show. He's got a message today. Mr. Gillette, spoiler alert, is an atheist. A staunch atheist. But he's got one of the best messages that I think you need to hear for Christians. 
And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought I said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New Just part of the New Testament. little book about this big, this thick. You know? He said, I wrote in the front of it. And I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes, and he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever. And you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that. I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. That's from a, an atheist. And he's a pretty staunch atheist.
Yeah, there's some things he got wrong about Psalms and New Testament and all that. That's, that just goes to prove that point. But he said some things that I really agree with. One of which is I think religion does a lot of bad things. He did talk about prophetizing. And, and I wanted to find that uh, mainly because this is Brother John's church. And if I don't define a big word... I won't be asked back. So, prophetizing and evangelism has been used a lot hand in hand together. Let me give you some of the origins of that from the Greek. Prophetizing was basically a word that when someone would move into Israel and they wanted to fit in or become part of the Jewish culture, they would be prophetized. They would be taught the law, how to live as a Jew, things like that. Okay? 1599. The Catholic Church uses the word prophetize. As a matter of fact, prophetize is where we get the word propaganda. And in 1599, the Catholic Church started a campaign that was actually propaganda feed, I think, F-I-D-E. I don't know the correct pronunciation there. So let me give you the difference. One of these words, evangelism and prophetize, has God in it. The other one doesn't. I could prophetize today to Brother John to become a Dallas Cowboy fan instead of those stinking Green Bay Packers. I'm trying to convince him into some type of doctrine, some type of religion, some type of belief. That's prophetizing. And religions use it all the time. Catholics, Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, Pentecostal. I don't care what it is, okay? Prophetizing, you'll hear that. What this man was doing, even though he didn't know it, was evangelizing. The, the, the essential difference comes from the fact that evangelism doesn't aim at you know, primarily trying to persuade someone uh, to the excellence of a doctrine, okay? But to have them meet the living Christ in his church. Remember that, that one of the best weapons in our spiritual warfare that Satan has against God is ours, man's, organized religion. It gets us busy doing stuff instead of focusing on Christ. So what, what I ask today is, with the Great Commission, and what Mr. Gillette asked, if, if you firmly believe who God is, if you firmly believe who Christ is, that there's a difference between living an eternal life or dying and burning in hell, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them? I mean, he, he used the analogy of the bus. You know, uh, my granddaughter sits here, Madison J. If she went to walk out in the street and something's going to hit her, would you go grab her? Or would you say, well, no, I'm not gonna, that's not my kid. What, what would somebody think if I grabbed somebody else's kid? Well, no, we wouldn't do that. I, I hear all the time about, you know, somebody standing up on TV or they're you know, this great hero that broke a window out of somebody's car in a mall because there was a puppy dog in there that was getting hot. And they say, well, what authority? You know, who are you to break someone's vehicle in their window? Well, I did it to save that dog's life. Okay, well, will you, will you turn to the people in the pew with you and ask them if they know Christ? Would you walk into another part of your house and ask somebody? Oh, it's I'm kind of uncomfortable. Hang on. We just established who Christ is and His authority. Okay? So if I ran out here on 44, I'm looking at Fred, former law enforcement official. If I ran out here on 44 
and you're speeding through town and I run after you like Gomer Pyle hollering, citizen arrest, citizen arrest. Y'all going to look at me like he's a nut. All right, but if a state trooper pulls up behind you and hits the lights, what are you going to do? Pull over. What's the difference? I was still trying to stop you from doing it wrong. The difference is he has the authority of the state of Texas behind him. Carries a little more weight. When we are asked to evangelize, when we're asked to go, to go, remember, we got a whole bunch of the Great Commission we're going to talk about. We haven't even got to what we're supposed to be doing. We're just trying to get you to go. That's where Christ is today. Go. And our fear, our doubts, we've already proved that's natural. We, we, we get that. That's natural. But God's not going to set us up for failure. So whose authority do you go out there on? Is it on your knowledge? No. Is it on your strength? No. Is it on your courage? No. Whose authority? That's not rhetorical. Whose authority? Jesus. Yeah, there you go. We need the Sunday school answer. Jesus. That's right. That's the authority we go under. I, I remember, oh, I was a little kid. I lived in Kerrville and played Little League. My dad and another gentleman, I can't even think of his name, uh, coached our Little League team. And he used to tell me and the other players when, well, I, I don't know, when this guy pitches faster, that guy might hit me. My job was to get in the batter's box and swing the bat. Not worry about the pitcher, not worry about the ball, not worry about the umpire that was going to call a strike when it should have been a ball. The coach would always tell us, just get in the box and swing the bat. That's, that's where we're at. That's exactly where we're at. God's not asking you to hit home runs. That's his job. God's not asking you to convert that person. We couldn't if we wanted to. Three things Brother John teaches us has to happen when you evangelize, when you witness to someone. You need to do your part. Holy Spirit's got to do their part. And the person you're evangelizing and witnessing to has to do their part. What part of that can you control? My part. That's right. Thank you, Jimmy. My part. Get in the box and bat. That's where we're at. And like I say, even an atheist is looking at us going, if you really believe that, why are you letting people die? I mean, he believes something totally different. That's him. A man evangelized to him. He's not ready. He's not doing his part. God's not doing his part. God will honor us going. God will never send us into a place to fail. There's always a purpose, even though we might not see it. So, as the worship team comes back up, Jesus wants you to wants us to finish what we began. The um, we got the worship team. There, there we go. <laughs> so, Jesus wants us to finish what He began. Remember, He came to the disciples. He taught them. He worked with them. And He died on the cross and rose from the dead. But before He ascended into heaven, He gave them, He gave us, the commission to convert the world. Remember, He's not going to ask us to do the impossible. That's the reason He came is because we can't do the impossible. 
You need to know that your efforts to honor Christ by obeying His call to make disciples of all nations is something that you can do. And we're, we're going to study about the all nations. We're going we're gonna to unpack the where, the when, the hows. So be a witness for Jesus. It can be right here in this church. It can be where you live. It can be where you work. You know, we're called. So stop asking God, what, what purpose do you have for my life? And every time I ask God, you know, what purpose do I have for my life? Get in the box, Jay. Swing the bat, Jay. Well, yeah, 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 I get that, God, but what else? Get in the box, Jay. Swing the bat, Jay. It's the reason it's called the Great Commission. And everything that we do in that commission is to honor God. And obedience will always lead to blessing.